Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is on the air. Never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is a call to arms for those American patriots who, in the tradition of our founding fathers, will stand up now to defend the Constitution and the liberties that it guarantees to each citizen, to each of us. That is our mission, to explain in a clear and concise manner the direct effect of each issue on the individual, on you personally not some anonymous being in a distant place, and to define in no uncertain terms the consequences of inaction. Let the battle begin. This is Dr. Dan. Today we have William Harris as our guest, uh, and he goes by, or is called by some, an apologetic author-speaker on the subject of evolution. But before we go any further, I think it's important to define that term. When we hear the word apology, most of us think that we're saying we're sorry for doing something that we did. But in truth, the word apologetic in that sense comes from the Greek, which means to be an advocate for or someone who argues for. So today... Uh, we are going to be discussing with William Harris. We're going to be discussing the subject of evolution and its relationship to Scripture, to the Bible. I know many of you, in fact, probably most of you, have read the Bible multiple times, uh, and I think that it's important to understand that there is something to really discuss here, because is evolution, is the science of evolution at odds with the Bible? Is it not at odds with the Bible? Is there any way of reconciling what we read in the Bible with what we read in, for instance, Darwin's book on the origin of the species? Uh, we don't know. We, we, we are going to be discussing it today with William Harris. So, William, I want to thank you very much for being a guest on Freedom Forum Radio. Tell us a little bit about what your position is. What are, where are you coming from? What do you believe? And what do you want to tell my audience? Well, thanks, Dr. Dan, for having me on the show. I think the first thing that we need to talk about is this whole idea that science and faith are at odds with each other. Now, I don't know a single believer who follows the, I'm going to call it the Judeo-Christian narrative, that's the Old Testament and the New Testament. I don't know a single believer who doesn't uh, believe in science. You know, we all live in these uh, amazing homes that have all these technologies, and we have smartphones in our pockets, and many of us actually fly to third-world countries and drill wells and install solar panels that, um, you know, provide power for the pumps to bring water to the schools that we build, and we document this all in HD video and post it on social media. Now, that takes a lot of science and technology, and I don't know a single believer who discounts science. Well, that's... Yet, <laughs> yeah, well, that, I mean, that's important because, as you said, and you said it so well, we see the effects of scientific advancement all around us all the time. But how does that relate to our subject at hand? Well, that's a very good question. Now, 
I'm sure you're familiar with the old bait-and-switch trick. So what people like to do in the evolutionary community is they like to talk about science and religion being at odds. And then they say, well, of course religious folk discount science because they don't believe in evolution. And then they start talking about evolution. But they've actually done two things that are a little bit misleading. First thing, they have not defined science. And the second thing, they have not defined evolution. And shockingly, after I did a lot of research, there is no legal and scientifically agreed upon definition of evolution. The Next Generation Science Standards, which is our national curricula framework, requires evolution to be taught in public schools, but does not offer a definition. Neither do the largest school districts throughout the country. Los Angeles Unified School District is the second largest to the New York City School District. That's actually where my kids go to school, and they are being required to be taught evolution in LAUSD. That's the Los Angeles Unified School District, yet they offer no definition. Now, you might be asking yourself, well, hold on. There's been court case after court case about this. There had to have been a legal definition mentioned at some point in time from the Scopes trials all the way up to today. Well, guess what? They've mentioned evolution, but they've actually left it legally undefined. Now, there's two reasons why evolution is undefined. The reason has to do with the fact that it cannot meet the criteria of science that is clearly laid out by the National Academy of Sciences. That's a big one. The second one is it also can't meet the criteria to be legally taught in public school for the same reason why intelligent design and creationism were kicked out of public school. So when you're talking about uh, evolution not meeting the criteria for science, what criteria specifically are you talking about? Well, that's a great question. So we all do science every single day. So let's say you buy a, a mop, right? You saw a commercial for it. I'm not going to say uh, any name in particular because I'm not going to advertise, but imagine it's a disposable mop that you can get at the grocery store in a box, and you have these little uh, you know, paper sponges that you can put on and off, and you can go around your house and clean up all the dust. Well, the commercial makes it look like it works like magic. Well, when you go to the store, you purchase the item because you have this idea that it's going to work. But when you bring it home, you open up the package, you put it together, and you start using it, what you're starting to do is you're going to take the idea into a testing phase, and you're going to start observing the results, and those results can be verified by other consumers that purchase the exact same product. And what we're doing is we are verifying everybody else's results, and then we can post our empirical data, which is what is derived through the scientific process of observation, testing, replication, and verification, and we can post that to consumer reports, and everybody can see what our empirical data is. That's science in a nutshell for you. The National Academy of Sciences has clearly outlined in court case after court case on their website in scientific journals that science is empirical data produced through observation testability, replication, and verification by other scientists. You know, that is, it's an incredible to hear you discuss that, uh, William Harris, because uh, as a physician, uh, I have written uh, 14 peer-reviewed scientific papers in reputable scientific journals. And so I do understand what the scientific method is. 
The scientific method is something that has been established for hundreds of years, and that is you come up with a hypothesis that you want to prove, and then you devise a means of testing that hypothesis. You then do experimentation uh, to try to, that revolves around proving the, or disproving the hypothesis, and then you look at the results, and you have to look at them without any kind of bias whatsoever. You look at the results, and you draw conclusions from the results. You don't make up results. You don't skew the facts. You don't omit the facts that don't fit your hypothesis. If you're a true scientist and you believe in the scientific method, then you have to prove it with facts, and the facts have to support the hypothesis, or the hypothesis doesn't work. Absolutely. And another thing is that that data that's produced through the scientific method is then sent out around the world that can be verified, and we can repeat the same processes, the same experiments, and there's no confusion whatsoever. And so that is what real science is. Now, the problem is we leave evolution undefined as well. And so nobody wants to admit what evolution is, because if they do, then they'll instantly understand that it is not able to be uh, able to, I'm sorry, it's unable to meet the criteria of what we have just been talking about, and that is science. So I started calling professors around the country at, at uh, departments of evolutionary biology, uh, you know, on East Coast, West Coast, in the middle of America, and depending on who I talked to, they all gave me a completely different and unique definition of evolution based on their field of study. So when I talked to a microbiologist, I'd be getting a completely different definition than when I just talked to an ornithologist. And those are the people who are uh, the ones who study birds. So like an ornithologist, for example, would give me a definition of evolution that included migration, because birds migrate. Well, I'd talk to a botanist, and I know for a fact that trees don't migrate. So there has to be a problem with our definition of evolution. Now, what I like to do is I like to study and read and figure out how did this all start. So I went back to the beginning and started combing through Darwin's most famous work on the origin of species by means of natural selection. And it hit me, Dr. Dan, it hit me as soon as I read the title for the first time. I've read the book, I don't even know how many times, dozens and dozens of times. I've quoted it in both of my books. But long story short, the title gives away the definition of evolution. The origin of species, species coming into existence, by what? By means of natural selection. So as a scientist, Dr. Dan, can we set up an experiment that causes new species to pop into existence because of natural selection? Dr. Dan's Freedom Form will return right after this quick break. Today we have William Harris as our guest, uh, and he goes by, or is called by some, an apologetic author-speaker on the subject of evolution. Well, that is certainly a challenging question, and I can see where that would be kind of difficult, because this process takes so many thousands and thousands and thousands of years certainly according to Darwin and, and, and the people who support him, how would you ever construct a scientific experiment or an experiment that 
that satisfies the rigors of the scientific method? How could you set up an experiment to prove or disprove the theory of evolution? Well, that is an excellent question. I'm glad you brought it up. See, everybody tells me the exact same thing. Well, hey, you can't do this because evolution takes place over millions of years. Well, I decided to look up something from my uh, favorite book, Webster's Dictionary. And you know what Webster defines as being outside of the visible, observable universe? Something that you cannot set up an experiment for, something you cannot test for, something that you cannot observe and produce empirical data that can be verified. Webster defines that as supernatural. Now here what we're doing in schools is we are teaching faith in the supernatural idea that an untested, unverified process of species emerging into existence by means of natural selection is a fact. Now, according to the First Amendment, that is unconstitutional. How is that? We're not allowed to teach religion in science class. And so when you start teaching children to have faith in millions and millions of years, but we can't back it up scientifically with any experiment whatsoever, what you're really saying is we can't observe it, we can't, obtest, we can't test it, we can't replicate it, we can't verify it, but over millions and millions of years, I need you to believe that this is true. So what you're saying, uh, William Harris, basically is that evolution is its own religion. And by the way, we are talking with William Harris, and I want to tell you his website. He has a fascinating website called ReadySetQuestion.com. Three words, ReadySetQuestion.com. And I invite you all to go there. You'll find some eye-opening facts. And we're talking about the fact that evolution, in essence, is a religion unto itself. Wouldn't you say so? Absolutely. You know, Nike is in competition with Reebok. McDonald's is in competition with Burger King. Toyota is in competition with Nissan. Why? Because Nissan and Toyota are car companies, and the other ones are fast food companies and shoe companies. Do you think that Toyota and McDonald's are in competition with each other? Absolutely not, because one's a fast food company and the other one is making cars. Who's in the biggest competition when it comes to how we got here? the Judeo-Christian narrative, and evolution. Why? Because they're both faith. So you need to have faith to believe in the Judeo-Christian principles, which we all know about, and you also need faith to believe in evolution because there never has been a scientific experiment that satisfies the scientific method that has been performed that confirms everything that Charles Darwin said. Absolutely. So how do you approach that, and what does that mean to you? Well, there's two ways to approach it. If you want to talk to a scientist about it, and you do what uh, Answers in Genesis does, which is one of my favorite organizations, and Ken Ham is, is extremely intelligent. He knows the Bible back and forth. But what he does is when he argues with somebody, he says, well, look at what the Bible says. Well, the problem with that is most evolutionists don't value Scripture the way that Ken Ham does. So when you take something that has no value to someone, you cannot argue your point. So what I have done is I've decided to take the empirical approach to arguing uh, with 
those who are in the evolutionary biology field, and I say, listen, you know what science is. You know what empirical data is. What I'm asking you to do is to show me empirical data. Walk me through the process. And so they say exactly what you said before and, and how we got to the point of millions of years. And I say, okay, then tell you what, let's go to the fossil record. If it really does take millions of years, there should be a slow transition all the way through time of a single-celled organism perfectly succinct all the way up to humans. And we should find hundreds of thousands of millions of transitional fossils in between. Well, any paleontologist can tell you we don't see that in the fossil record. See, there's only two types of fossils ever. There are extinct animals and organisms, much like dinosaurs, you know, the T-Rex and the Triceratops. And then there are extant organisms, which are animals that are still alive today. Organisms like bees and birds and frogs and alligators, those are all in the fossil record as well. But what we see is not a slow transition. What we see are these enormous jumps, which I call extinction events. And a lot of people will acknowledge the fact that, hey, dinosaurs went extinct, right? But you have some that'll say, well, no, dinosaurs didn't go extinct. They evolved into birds. Well, the problem with that is we've got fossilized birds right next to fossilized dinosaurs. And so the fossil record gives absolutely no evidence and no empirical data for the slow transition over millions of years. So now I have two levels of faith that I need to believe in in order for evolution to be true. Boy, that's, you know, you've raised, you've raised certainly interest in me and, and made me start to question the fact that, you know, they say, and, and I, <clears throat> I certainly have studied, you know, evolution uh, from a anthropological, physical anthropology point of view. Uh, well, they will say that, for instance, that that fish, the fins of fish turned into legs and, and those, that allowed the fish to turn into amphibians that then allowed them to crawl out of the water and to live part on land and part on, part in the in the water. That's the kind of what they call, I guess they call it a fossil record. Are you saying there's no fossils that prove that? None that I know of. Well, that kind of, that, that makes it very difficult to understand. I guess that's, that's why you say, and I say with you at this point, that there's, if there's no fossil record of that, then what you're really asking for is a whole bunch of faith that evolution is true? Well, there is a theory, an additional theory, that people have developed. It was actually developed by uh, Stephen Jay Gould. It's called punctuate, punctuated equilibrium. Excuse me. And basically what that means is that speciation events, like dinosaurs turning into birds, happen so quickly that the fossil record actually could not capture them. And so that's why when you look at the fossil record, you see these huge jumps of just dinosaurs and then mammals. And so the problem with that thinking is they get to claim both sides. So if they say, well, you know, we can't observe, test, replicate, and verify evolution because it takes millions and millions and millions of years. But then when you say, well, we've got these huge jumps in the fossil record where there are no transitional fossils, well, then they develop another theory called 
punctuated equilibrium, which basically states that fossilization happens slower than speciation, or speciation happens faster than the rate of fossilization. That's why we didn't have any captured. <laughs> and so it's a, it's a revolving door. And that concludes another episode of Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. Join the battle on our website, www.drdansfreedomforum.com. The rights to own private property that cannot be arbitrarily confiscated by the government is the moral right and constitutional basis for individual freedom. People, I just love to hear that old man sing. Yeah, when I play the hoochie-coochie man I get joy in everything Everything, everything Everything gonna be alright this morning